There aren't many people who could inherit a classroom at the age of 23, high school students, most of whom didn't care a lick about their education, and transform it. These were students in East Los Angeles who had suffered through the worst that poverty, gangs, and violence meet out. And yet, our EDGE interviewee this month, through an extraordinary pedagogy, inspired her students. She sold them on the power of the pen above the knife. She got them to believe in themselves and synergize as a group. They raised money, traveling to Washington, D.C. and Europe. They wrote letters that became a best-selling book, and their story was turned into a Hollywood blockbuster. Most of us will never enter a classroom quite this hard, and yet we all know these dynamics. How do you take a student turned off from learning and inspire them? How do you get a group of individuals to coalesce as a team? And how do you release the potential for leadership and great things that we sense inside? We welcome you to Aaron Gruwell. So Aaron, thanks so much for spending time with us this afternoon. Whenever you're with educators, it's such a blessing. So to have the opportunity to speak to leaders who inspire other leaders, I walk away feeling like I'm a student. So tell us a little bit about how, how your story started. So I am an ordinary teacher. I uh, am an English teacher, and I began my career in Long Beach, California, at Woodrow Wilson High School. I had ninth graders who weren't excited about reading or writing or anything that comes with an English classroom. And luckily, we were able to take that um, feeling of, of being miserable and angry and apathetic and turn it into one of celebrating the written word and, and using the written word to change lives. And so that's what I do now is I help teachers and students find their voice through writing and through celebrating great authors. Um, we did a lot of analyzing teenagers who, who wrote stories about very difficult and painful things. And as we've traveled uh, the country, we've met a lot of students who have stories to tell as well. And so that's what we try to do is encourage them to put down a fist and pick up a pin. So every teacher has the experience of walking into a classroom and being excited about teaching something, and that excitement is not returned by the student. How do you get them to wake up? It's a great question. I think every day is different. Uh, you have to be very flexible in the moment as a teacher. Um, expect the unexpected that our students are perfectly imperfect and there's those moments um, where you just feel like you're a failure. And I, I've learned to be in the moment and to rise above technology problems or bells and whistles that go off or kids who are having a bad day. Um, for me, I work with urban kids. So there was a lot of other issues that were out of my control, whether or not a kid ate breakfast that morning, whether or not the lights were turned off the night before, whether or not they have clean clothes in the last month, whether dad is up for parole. So for me, there was a lot of other circumstances that I realized were part of my curriculum. Um, before they could open that book, before they could write that manifesto, I had to know who they were and what their story was. Because I would imagine some of their stories were probably filled with shame and they might not want to tell them. You know, a lot of what I, I tried to do then and I still try to do now is create an environment where kids feel safe and, and an egalitarian, inclusive environment where everyone has a voice and everyone has a say and, and we honor those stories that we don't we don't judge people and so for a lot of students who have felt shame what they don't want is they don't want pity they don't want handouts they might need a hand up and so part of my classroom was just allowing my students to feel healthy and whole and oftentimes um, heal some of those horrific things that happen 
outside of room 203, outside of the, the boundaries of the school. So creating an environment where my students came and felt supported and felt listened to and felt that they mattered was really important. So what are the tools that you use to do that? Is it, is it the compassionate look on your face? Is it a touch? Is it a joke? Take us inside the room for a moment. How do you make a safe space, especially in the beginning? I think you have to establish boundaries. Uh, my students had to know that this was a hate-free zone, that we're not going to stand for any kind of bullying. Um, we're not going to stand for any kind of isms, racism, or sexism, or ageism. And that we had to be vigilant in the moment when those things happened. Um, we learned specifically um, from Holocaust survivors that, that evil prevails when good people do nothing. So I really wanted to set that tone that, that each and every one of us have to not st stand idly by. And if we hear something that's inappropriate, we have to say something. If we see something that's inappropriate, we have to do something. And I think I, I really had that lesson um, come to light for me personally when I actually took my students to a concentration camp in Poland, to Auschwitz. And I saw all these homes and all these communities beside the railroad tracks and beside the camps. And people did do nothing. And people did stand idly by and allow those, those cries to fall on deaf ears. So for me, it was really about setting boundaries and structure about this is a sacred space. And we're going to agree to disagree. And we're going to challenge each other, we're going to ask questions, we're going to laugh, we're going to cry, we're going to show emotion. But at the end of the day, this is a place of great compassion and great understanding and great hope. And another incredible anecdote I learned from this fabulous survivor from Auschwitz. She said, it's not just enough to tolerate me. I don't want that. I want people to get to the point where there's acceptance. So I had started my class with one of my roles was about tolerance, and I now no longer use that word. It's not enough. It's all about striving towards acceptance. What would you say your strength as a teacher is? And what would you say your weakness has been that you had to work hard at? Uh, I think my, I'll start with my weakness. I think my weakness is I'm a big thinker, and there's a lot of minutia that goes with being a teacher. And I, I didn't realize going in, being an English teacher, how many papers you have to grade and how all-consuming it is. Um, it is overwhelming. And I didn't, I didn't set great boundaries for me. I had great boundaries for my class, for my students, and this environment. And I took all of those stories home with me. And they became overwhelming. So I think my weakness was uh, not knowing how to say no not knowing when to turn it off, uh, not asking for help when I was overwhelmed. Uh, and initially, as, as a first-year teacher, I, I tried to do everything myself. And in, in retrospect, that's really foolish. So, so now I, I become very vulnerable and I ask for help. And when you ask for help, you set yourself up for rejection. So I have to face rejection. But every once in a while, when someone says yes, and I'll, I'll help you, or I'll be a part of this journey, it's, it's worth the ask. It's worth putting yourself out there. So I think those are my weaknesses. Um, I hope that my strength is, as much as I love being a teacher, I love being a student more. So if I can create an environment where everything's set up perfectly and my students take over and they're the teachers and it's very Socratic and very student-centered, uh, that's my strength is um, watching the magic unfold. Uh, the world is a really chaotic place and I've just learned you don't have to control the, the chaos. That's sometimes in those moments of kids laughing, singing, and being what would seem to the outside world uh, as out of control. In those out of control moments, that's where the real, the real beauty comes and the real learning 
and the real lessons. So I just sprinkle the magic and, and the kids take it from there. Do you think any student can learn to dream big and read? Absolutely. Uh, and that's the, I think that's the frustrating thing in, in, in 2014 to even have to have that, that question. Um, education can be very polarizing. It can be very, uh, unfortunately, elitist at times. And, and I've, I've experienced that when the Freedom Writers Diary came out. My students and I have been uh, able to travel the entire country and, and see many different communities that are very similar and or different to where we came from. Schools are still segregated in 2014, even after Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, students are still failing. Um, people still pick on this profession. And I, I hope that we get to a point where we can get it right, where we don't have people who don't understand how powerful this profession is, having those unfunded mandates that, that don't work, and those things that come and go and demoralize our teachers and make them feel overwhelmed and then leave the profession. Um, I, I believe in my heart that education is a calling and that is, it is bigger than myself. And so when I am allowed to follow that calling, um, I, I believe that that's where the passion com comes from, the enthusiasm. So I'm hopeful about our future, but I'm, I'm more hopeful about allowing a kid and a teacher to make that connection in a classroom. How do you make that connection? That's a great question. I never, I've never thought about it that way. Uh, I, I think I just try to be in the moment and to be. I, I don't take me, don't take me to Vegas. I have no poker face. So if I'm anxious, you're gonna know. If I'm uh, terrified, you're gonna know. If I'm excited, you're gonna know. And when I was getting my teacher credential at the university, I remember a professor said, "Don't smile till Christmas. Never show emotion. Um, don't wear your heart on your sleeve. All these don'ts." And I walked in on day one, and I was like. I have to be who I am. So I, I think I live in a world of hyperbole, I'm an English teacher, so um, I, I like melodrama, I like hyperbole, I like adjectives, I, I like things that are expressive. And so I, I had to bring those elements to my classroom. But along with all of that also comes the flip side, uh, like Pandora's box. Um, when you open the box, a lot, of, a lot of bad stuff comes out. And at the bottom there's hope. But in my classroom, to get to, the, to that hope, I had experienced a lot of pain with my students. And that's where the empathy came from, and that's where the compassion came from. I, I wasn't prepared for it, and I didn't expect it. But when it happened, um, I wanted them to know that it was safe, and that it was okay, and they weren't gonna be judged. And that through a classroom, and through kids and teachers, things could and will get better. And I'm so thankful that they did. Um, and that's what the beauty of education is. I think we all have kids who need us somehow, some way, and we're just, uh, as educators, lucky to be there for our kids, regardless of the color of their skin, or economics, or the kind of uh, subject matter we teach. I think the beauty of our profession is that we are able to be there for another person. Any last words of advice that you might have for the teacher who yearns to connect, who yearns to inspire, and he says, I just don't know if I have the time, and it's kind of scary. I think, I think you have to admit that it's scary. I think you walk in um, anticipating that. It is terrifying. It is terrifying to be in front of a group of teenagers. They can ask anything. They have the best BS detectors. So you can't be something you're not, because if you are, they'll, they'll call you out, and they should. I think that's one of the last... Um, 
bastions of, of being real. Like my students always would say, keep it real. And I think that's, when, when you can be in an environment that's educational and keep it real, there's nothing better. Um, I, I feel that education oftentimes is a very subjective science. So sometimes when we're too objective, we, we lose things in transition. And so as a reading teacher, um, it was all about interpretation and it was all about bringing meaning. But there's different interpretations, there's different meaning. So for me, it was all about being flexible, um, not being too controlling, not trying to take my opinions and reinforce them, but allowing my students to come up with their own opinions and to, to follow that discourse and to, and to follow that path. So I would think for, for all teachers, go into this profession if it is your passion. Go into this profession if it is your calling and fight for it. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult profession, but I think it's the most noble and, and the most meaningful. And so I'm so proud to call myself a teacher and so proud to be an educator. And I hope that those that, that call themselves teachers and educators feel that same pride um, each and every day. Well, on behalf of the Gardner Kearney Leadership Institute, I mean, as you know, our focus is to build leadership and students to teach the teachers to do this and you're just a shiny exemplar in our profession so I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. Spending the day with your colleagues was a gift. Amazing, brilliant folks who passionately believe in their schools and their kids so I get to take that and your incredible foundation with me so thank you so much.